Morning, church. How are you feeling on this sunny, bright, beautiful day? Oh dear. Yes! <laughs> I love that song that we sang, the one before that, the one before the last, you know. We will not be shaken. Isn't that, isn't that something? We will not be shaken. Because, you know, we know that all things that can be shaken will be shaken, right? Because that's what the Bible tells us. You know. There is a shaking coming upon this earth. But those that are within the hands of God, those that are held safely within His hands, we will not be shaken. That's an amazing thing. It's not only talking about a time that is to come, but the reality is right now, isn't it? You know, because things are shaking all around us, aren't they? You know, sometimes they're shaking in our very home. Sometimes they're shaking in, you know, in our very relationships. But God tells us if we will hang on to him, we are reminded that he is already hanging on to us. Isn't that true? That's what I love about John's Gospel in that 10th chapter. Where we're told that we're in his hands and nothing can remove us from his hands. That's what I love about Philippians that tells us that he has promised to finish that good work that he has begun within us. That's what I love about the scriptures that tell us that he will provide all our needs according to his riches and glory. That's what I love about the God who has placed his name upon us and calls us his children. It's glorious, isn't it? God is always working, brothers and sisters. He's always working. And you and I need to hold on to that because sometimes it doesn't seem that way, does it? Sometimes it seems a little dark. You know, and I've said many times over the years, sometimes it feels and seems so very dark that there is no practical evidence that God is present at all. But I'm here to tell you he's there. He's in the midst of that darkness, bringing his confidence, bringing his peace, bringing his hope and his assurance that he is indeed working because he's got his hand on you. Remember, from the moment that Christ placed his hand upon you, he has promised he will never take it off again. And he's doing that work. He's doing that. That's the confidence we have. That's the confidence that the Apostle Paul had when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all those that believe. I'm not ashamed. Because God is gloriously doing things. And, uh, hang on, guys. The world is shaking around us. Hang on, guys. The King is coming. Hang on, guys. He's coming for his family. Amen. Amen. Hey, we've got a visitor this morning. Now, I am terrible, and I'm going to apologise before I do this, okay? There it is. Shelley. Shelley Puddle is from Youth Care Australia. And she's here just for a... She told me the other day, she said on the phone, I just want a couple of minutes, and she meets me down the back and says, I'm here for a couple of seconds. Um, we can give you minutes. She's going to talk about scripture in schools. Thank you. Oh, I think that mic should be checked. There we go. Great, thanks. Yes, my name is Shelley Puddle, um, and I'm from Youth Care in the Christian Values Education Department, which is a parallel service that runs um, parallel to chaplaincy in youth care. So I wanted to start just by asking three probing questions. So firstly, in our ever-increasingly secular society, do you personally find it more challenging to share about Jesus? Um, have you noticed that the true meaning behind Christmas and Easter is no longer common knowledge? Yeah. But did you know that in Australia we are still allowed to educate about God in public primary schools? There we go. It's a true fact. And guys, this is an incredible platform to educate children about who God is and allow them to explore who he is in their lives. So Youth Care has been operating for over 47 years throughout Western Australia with the heart to express God's love in educational communities. So I'm sure you all are well aware of chaplaincy, but actually Christian religious education or scripture was the founding platform for Youth Care. So presently we offer 58 programs throughout WA in public primary schools. Um, and CRE, better known as Scripture, uh, is a 30-minute in-class program that allows kids to explore who Jesus is for themselves while learning priceless long-life long values. So Kendanup, uh, Pingrup, Noangarup and Katanning are just a few primary schools that are still running CRE in their schools. But guys, there's so much more opportunity. 
So Spencer Park Primary School, right here in your backyard, currently has a team delivering CRE, which is your 30 minute program, from grades one to six every Tuesday lunchtime from 12.25. And the team has an opportunity for you to join them. So let me ask, are you passionate about children's knowledge of Jesus? Yes. Wonderful. Are you available on any given Tuesday at lunchtime? Would you consider joining the Spencer Park Primary School team? Oh. Youth Care will provide the training and the curriculum and the ongoing support so that we can make this opportunity a reality for each of you. Guys, um, each and every one of us in this room, we're privileged that someone once shared with us about who God is, and he presently today is the, the anchor of our hope in our lives. But let me tell you, there's an ocean of children out there that haven't had that expressed to them and they don't know who he is. So would you consider joining us as a team in our mission to share who Jesus is in public schools? I'll be up the back afterwards to answer any further questions. Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. You've done that before, haven't you? <laughs> that's amazing it's not just children I, I come across people in my workplace who don't know who Jesus is and that's, that's just something just, that just well, I don't get it how we could live in this society and not have come across an understanding of who Christ is whether they believe in him or not I've met people that don't know who he is how can that be how can that be? We've dropped the ball, haven't we, somewhere? All right, good morning all again. Um, if you're visiting this morning, or if you haven't been with us for a little while, we are in the book of Romans. In fact, we are in the first chapter of Romans. So if you will turn with me. Um, we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of uh, that first chapter uh, that unfortunately doesn't get a lot of airplay these days. And so... Uh, we're going to give it some air, okay? And hopefully we'll give it some heart this morning. Um, is, this, is there something? Um, I missed the notices. I you did. You did the trip. Yeah. Did, did you? Oh, okay. All right, so before we open, turn to Romans with me. Before we uh, get into it, just to let you know that the trip to Israel, uh, the dates are on that flyer that you got as you came in. We've been talking about it. It's okay. Oh, oh yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've been talking about it a little bit, um, but the, there is a deadline, um, and, and quite a few of you expressed an interest, and I understand why. Um, and I know some of you will ultimately go with us on this trip. So, but I want you to know that the deadline we need to be able to give our numbers is September. Um, I don't know if it's on that piece of paper there. Is it on that piece of paper? Did anyone read it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, that's all I really wanted to let you know. The details um, is... Um, just read it. It's going to be an incredible thing. I have, never, I have never come across a believer who's come back from Israel without not necessarily a changed perspective, but a perspective that has been enlightened by the reality of that experience. You know, to walk where Jesus walked, to be in those places, to consider the things that were said and accomplished. And not only that, to consider the things that are going to happen in that place and uh, so if you have a mind or if you have a heart to be um, a part of that trip let us know and um, we'll, we'll get ourselves ready hey? so Romans are you there mm. um, Paul this is what Paul's been doing Paul has been declaring in this opening chapter his absolute confidence. He is someone that has said, I am, and I know this is, this is probably a terrible analogy, but he is someone that is saying, is, I'm throwing everything in 
with Christ. That's what he says. I, I, am, you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. He is committed to, he has walked a walk and had his eyes opened to the reality of Christ and nothing is going to move him from this course. We will find him in Acts chapter 20 where they are talking about you know, the, the threat that is against the Apostle Paul's life and the Apostle Paul will say, none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear unto myself. And he's talking about this absolute confidence that he has in Christ and the course that God has set him upon as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so he boldly says I'm all about Jesus and there's nothing else to be about in this world so he has this absolute confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save people to save people from their sin to save them from a destiny apart from God and to give them the hope of glory there is nothing else in his heart and his mind that he says is worth investing in and I want to, I want to drive that home to you and I Because that's what he's saying. Because we invest in a lot of different things, don't we, in this life? To try and find substance, to try and find peace, to try and find rest, to try and find purpose, to try and find the reason for being here. And Paul is saying in this opening chapter, there is absolutely nothing else in this world worth investing in other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. That's Paul's heart. And, And so... Last week we arrived at verse 18. In fact, we only got half a verse. I'm going to promise you this week we will get more than half a verse. Right? Here's my commitment to you. Um, <laughs> thanks, Max. Don't be afraid, visitors. It's, it's not going to be... No. Last week we looked at that first half of verse 18 where Paul continued in that, in that confidence by not so much... Not so much proclaiming the gospel, but rather speaking of the absolute necessity of the gospel to save us from, remember, we're introduced to the subject of God's righteous, God's holy wrath. And what we considered last week was man's veiled attempts to reject the holiness of God, which in reality which in reality really is nothing more than the love of sin and the hatred of God and the refusal to be held accountable for the guilt that we, all, that we all know and experience because of the rejection of God. Which is why the Bible teaches us that all people by nature need saving. Isn't that right? That all people by nature are born sinners. A nature that has been passed on to us from our federal head who is Adam and every descendant of the human, of the human race related to Adam. All of us are guilty by, we say are guilty by association, but we are guilty by the reality of an inherited nature. That's why when we get to Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is going to be saying, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned by virtue of the fact we're born with a fallen nature. So the Apostle Paul, to convince people of the need of the gospel set about convincing us that without Christ we are lost. Without Christ we are sinners lost. Without Christ we are guilty before God. And without Christ we are under God's wrath. I asked you last week, how long is it since you've heard a sermon on the wrath of God? Well, let me tell you, it's a big subject in the Bible. It's a big subject in the Bible. And Paul is dealing with it as as well as anybody has, has, has dealt with it. Someone wrote this. Let me read you this quote. Someone wrote this and said, In order to make you see your need, and he's talking about Romans. So he says, In order to make you see your need of the gospel, you must first realize that you have done wrong in order to understand the good news. You've got to grasp the bad news that before God's holiness, we're all guilty. You see, without the bad news, and the wrath of God is bad news, even though the wrath of God itself is to bring people to repentance, isn't it? 
Even in the wrath of God, there is God's grace. Because we saw last week that the wrath of God is continually being poured out. Don't let us think that the wrath of God is simply reserved for an end time, for a future yet to come. No, it says the wrath of God is continually being revealed. And we see it through the disobedience of men. We see it through the natural consequences of people who choose not to honour God in their lives. And that's what Paul was talking about. But he's saying here, That without the bad news of the wrath of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, makes no sense. The cross has no purpose. And if we are not sinners under wrath, under the wrath of God, then there is no reason for Christ to come and die upon the cross as our sin bearer and being in our place. If mankind is basically good by nature, as a lot of people want to believe, then the gospel of Christ is unnecessary. And so what we looked at last week was the ridiculousness of that position. And so Romans is saying, all men. Certainly this sounds like we're preaching to the converted, I know. But Romans is saying to all men that we need to understand God's holy law. We need to understand that we have all broken it. We need to understand by breaking God's holy law, God's wrath is upon us in order for us to be saved from it. I wonder how many people are sitting in churches and don't really understand that. I wonder. Again, most people as a whole think that, well, they're pretty good people, right? As a whole. And as far as they are concerned, they've committed no great crime. So how could God possibly have a problem with a good guy like me? That's how most people live in this world today. But that highlights the problem of mankind. See, I am not the one, you are not the ones that are setting the standard The issue will never be, have I been able to live up to the standard that I set? No, the issue is that I have not met the righteous standards of a holy God. That's the issue. So last week we explored, again, the wrath of God in light of the holiness of God. And what we saw was that we need to see and understand that God's wrath is in complete agreement with his love. Please, if you struggle with that statement, I encourage you, go back to last week's message. We talked about that in length. Because in fact, the wrath of God, agreement, agreement with God's love, is essential to his character. God cannot show indifference to sin, is what we saw last week. If he did not, he would not be God and he would not be loving. Because we all expect justice, don't we? Every single one of us, you know. And God is a just God. So to say that God loves everyone and has no anger towards sin, it's a completely irrational way of thinking, an irrational position. So he says there in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice what he says, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now let me really quickly say again, the wrath of God is not God blowing his stack. Don't think like that. Don't let the movies tell you that. It's not God indiscriminately just annihilating people, anybody that gets in his way. No, God's wrath is a settled, steadfast, and you expect this in your own lives, is a settled, steadfast, absolute opposition to all that is evil. We see it throughout the scripture where God shows himself to love righteousness, to love holiness, to love purity, to love innocence and to hate all that is wicked. And so verse 18 clearly says God's wrath is not directed against goodness, but against ungodliness and unrighteousness or the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. So now Romans goes on 
to describe mankind's, this is where we're today, to describe mankind's willful downward journey towards unbelief. That's why you don't hear a lot of preaching on Romans chapter 1, you know, because it's that downward spiral that mankind is on. Put simply, it's about man's ultimate rejection of God and how he got there, how he got to that place. So you're good to go on? Nobody scared? Okay, that's great. So read it with me, will you? That verse again that we were in last week. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So notice, the wrath of God is being revealed against those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is, what he's saying is that mankind is suppressing the truth, the revealed truth of God in order to sin. That mankind suppresses the truth in order to do whatever they want. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, in John's gospel? He said, this is the judgment or this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil, for everyone who does evil hates the light. This is describing that continual striving against the truth of God. Now, I'm not going to go into examples this morning, but the idea when he says suppressing the truth, the idea is like someone, have you ever tried to hold down one of those big coiled springs? that we often see in playgrounds and things like that, or a strong spring. The idea is like someone trying to hold down this heavy coiled spring, but it is constantly pushing against you as you try to hold it down in its position. This is what Paul is saying that mankind is doing. Every truth that God has revealed about his nature you know, about who he is, about his purpose, about his intentions for mankind. Every truth revealed to man by God has been fought against. I mean, I remember doing it myself, you know, fighting against what I knew to be true, you know. And mankind has been fighting against it. He has been disregarding it. He has been deliberately obscuring it. He is pushing it down. That's what Paul means. He is suppressing the truth of in sorry, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Here's the bottom line. And I know I've already said it, but the bottom line is that people do not want to be responsible to God. That's the bottom line. And here's the thing, it's not an issue of any evidence. The issue is this, the issue is the question that the dominant worldview does not want to be confronted by. You know what it is? The dominant worldview does not want to be confronted by the question that does man determine truth or does God determine truth? And if God determines truth and he is our creator, This is why it doesn't want to be confronted. If God determines truth and he is our creator, then we have a responsibility to him as his creation. But sinful man refuses to allow the divine divine foot of God in the door. You know that? He refuses. I mean, I I have heard prominent, prominent scientists say, I don't care what the evidence says. I I, I don't care. I've heard one scientist say, I don't care. Even if Jesus Christ himself should show up and prove himself to be real, I refuse to go back to that. That's the position. I refuse to go back to that, you know. Sinful man refuses to allow the divine foot of God into the door of their heart. So they reject and they deny the existence of God in order that they might live their lives the way that they want to live their lives. What the scripture presents is a God-centered universe. Do you realize that? A God-centered universe. 
He is the self-existent creator of heaven and earth. The Bible teaches us clearly that that he has brought all things into existence. That his power, by his power, all things consist or held together. We exist, the Bible teaches. And people hate this. For God's good pleasure. We're told in the scripture that he is the giver of all that we need. We are to exalt him. It's a God-centered universe. We exalt him. We reflect his glory. And again, it is a God-centered universe. But man suppresses that truth and wants to place himself where? As the center of the universe. But having said this, that doesn't mean... And this is Paul's next point. This is Paul's point. It doesn't mean that mankind has an excuse. It doesn't mean that mankind is ignorant of who God is. Why? Because he's going to go on to say that God's truth, the existence of God, is self-evident. You know, man knows God. Man knows that God is a righteous God, that he is a righteous character. You see, in order to reject him, they have to know him, right? That's the reality. Paul says God made it plain to mankind from the very beginning. He has shown humanity what God can know about himself. What does it say there in verse 8 and 19? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them... For God has shown it to them because since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. I love that word. I'll come back to that word. That are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, he says, are without excuse. You see, you can't say... That the unbelieving world is ignorant of the existence of God. Every culture has discovered the reality of God, haven't they? Every culture, every ancient culture. No, we're not saying they all got it right, but every culture has discovered and trusted in and looked towards the existence of existence of God. Every culture. You can't say that mankind has not known. You can't say that mankind has overlooked. You can't say that mankind has forgotten. What does he say there? It says God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. And here's the thing. That means that all people have an awareness of the invisible things of God. All people. Everybody's asked that question. Everybody has been evidenced by the creation around them that there is a God, the invisible attributes of God. Now they may not acknowledge that. And you might meet and know some out and out atheists that, ref- that simply say, no, I do not believe, I cannot accept, I will not accept. Well, that's the answer. you know. They may not acknowledge that and they may deny the reality of the existence of God I mean, even Dawkins himself, you know, Dawkins, you know, our modern time celebrated, you know, um, celebrity atheist. Even Dawkins goes to bed with the God problem in his head. How did it all begin? Where did it all come from? I've even heard him acknowledge that there is the God problem. He calls it a problem. Isn't that amazing? He talks about a God problem, talking about something, a God that he says does not exist, but it's a problem for him. So so everybody, everybody has an awareness of the invisible things of God. But what in reality is going on when the likes of Dawkins and so many others lay their heads upon the pillow is that they are willingly suppressing that truth. Why? Because they don't want to accept it. It comes down to that. They don't want to accept it. All around us, this is Paul's argument here, all around us, the Creation is testifying of a creator. But here the scripture tells us that the one, that the person who chooses to suppress the undeniable testimony of God's fingerprint on creation, 
The one who refuses to open up their heart and their mind to the reality that God exists. What does Paul call that? He calls it foolishness. And he says it's a foolishness, a foolishness held on to that's going to bring an ever darkening reality to the heart of such a person. And we meet those people, don't we? Literally, day by day. Week by week, month by month, year by year, they are, they're, they're, their understanding and their commitment or the, or the, the revelation of God's truth and creation has been darkened unto them. And, and it becomes a very black place. You know, I, I think about that statement because that terrifies me. You know, because that darkening that starts in the heart of men. Now, Jesus ultimately tells us be, ultimately will be realised in an eternal existence separated from God, where he describes it how? How does he describe it? As a place of outer darkness, completely separated from the reality of God throughout all eternity. And that is beyond my comprehension in, in, in terms of horror. And we don't want to talk about that this morning. No, no, no. But all around us, let me say it again. This is the evidence. All around us, the creation is testifying of a creator. All around us, you know. How can a person, this is, and we talk about this so often, how can a person look into the expanse of the clear night sky and declare that it all came about by chance? How can they, you know? That it was all, what do they call it? It was all a, a future, a, a, a future a, I can't say these words, these are big words. I, I, I thought about them last night. It, it is all a fortuitive occurrence of accidental happenstance. Do you like that? You know? It's illogical, isn't it? It's senseless to come to that conclusion. I mean, we only have to look into the perfect design of life on this planet to realise that there is a designer, that God exists. And of course, we've got to go back. We've got to go back to, you know, like the psalmist, because the psalmist was just enamoured with God because he saw God in all of the creation around him. Psalm 19, of course, you know. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament above his handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech, and night unto night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there is no language where that voice is not heard, he says. Speaking to every man, woman and child that has ever been born and looked up at the heavens and oh, can't deny it, you know. The psalmist again in Psalm chapter 8 would say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who has set your glory above the heavens. And he went on to say, you know, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, where he goes, what is man in light of that, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him? Have you ever found yourself in that place? Just sitting outside on a clear night? And allowing the reality of the existence of the universe to permeate your being and to speak into your heart the reality of the hand of God that has placed it there and to realise that who am I? You know, that his love would reach down and touch me. That amazes me. It really does when I think about it. Here I am. Look at me. What, what am I? Less than six foot tall, Right? Less than six foot tall. Sometimes I can look at myself, I can stand alongside some of you and feel pretty big. I know that. But what a joke that is. Here am I, less than six foot tall, standing on this pebble-like planet that is, that is zooming around a sun that is, what, 100 and 170 million kilometres away from us. In a universe that just continues to expand and span and expand, you know. Isn't, do you love those images where you see where we draw away from the earth, you know? 
We sit, we're standing on the earth and we're looking at mountains and its grandeur and the oceans and the valleys and the seas. But very quickly we start to pull away and suddenly it all just turns to a blue haze. And before long it's nothing more than a little bright speck in the, in the, in the universe, in the space out there. And we drift away and suddenly it disappears altogether. And we keep on going and our star starts to take on that same. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we keep on going and we keep on going in this expanding universe. And we realise that somewhere back there where I began, right there where I began, there is a six foot man that is standing on that little speck of dirt and God loves him. Doesn't that overwhelm you? It should overwhelm your heart. It overwhelms me. See, you spend any time contemplating this universe around us. And you must agree with the psalmist who said in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And when he says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, that word fool literally means insane. The position is insanity. It's insane to reject the truth of the existence of God. You know, look at man, look at us. We boast of our wisdom and our intelligence and our skills. And it still amazes me that the greatest thing that we have apparently done is to place, you know, 12 men in these cumbersome suits like this that rock and roll around on the moon and come back home. It still amazes me that that's the greatest thing we've done. And we boast in our wisdom and our intelligence and our skills. But you want me to believe, they want me to believe that a heart starts to beat within the chest of an infant child in his mother's womb 22 days after he's been consumed, con- 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 conceived and you want me to believe that that is by chance? That that life just accidentally began? That's insanity. Mm. That's insanity. You forget about trying to find out what the origins of life are, Mr. Scientist. Forget about that. The miracle of life is happening every day, all the time, all around this world. Now, Mr. Scientist can't explain it. Here's the truth. The truth is this. It takes a concerted act of the will to deny that a vastly powerful, infinitely wise God created and sustained all things. It takes a determined act of the will. And if one is not at least today searching for the reality of God or searching for God, they are suppressing the truth of God. They're rejecting the light that has been started and a hardening position has begun within that person and it is foolishness, it is insanity, it is the downward spiral towards unbelief and the Apostle Paul says there is no excuse for mankind to allow himself to end up in that place. But again, to the contrary, look around. And and you know that you cannot explain what you see by purely naturalistic explanations. We are not accidents, people. You are not accidents. No. We are meant to be. The creation affirms. You know what this creation affirms? The design that we see. The creation affirms that there is purpose to your life. The creation affirms that there is value to your life. You know, I love what it says there when the Apostle Paul says that all things are clearly made, um, are clearly made, um, um, what does it say there? <laughs> um, I've lost my verse. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are clearly made. He's talking about the creation around us. We find that word in one other place in the New Testament. You know where it is? That Greek word, clearly made, is the word poema. 
It's what we find in the book of Ephesians when he says that you and I, we are, every single one of us in this room, from that youngest baby that I can see right there to the oldest gentleman who I will not identify, every single one of us are his poema. The word poema is where we get our English word poem from. It's talking that we are the creative genius of God. And that's not an arrogant statement. We're the creative genius of God because the genius hand of God has designed us and put us here with purpose. And because of that, every single one of us, according to the Apostle Paul, should be bowing down before that God. Bowing down before that God. So so he describes this downward spiral of man that willfully rejects the knowledge and the existence of God. Read with me just a couple of verses. I won't keep you much longer. Um, because I said I'd do more than one verse. Um, remember, that was a commitment. That was a promise, remember? Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Paul says here that man has rejected the glory of the incorruptible God for images made like corruptible things. Men, birds, animals, reptiles. And so again, man knew God. This is what he's saying. And, and what this says is that human history, please, please hear this point. This is what Paul's point is. Human history is not the story of a primitive man worshipping animals and all types of idols who never knew God, never knew the true and the living God, or never heard who the God of the heavens and the earth really is but rather than slowly evolve to worship one God, the true and the living God, starting from the primitive to evolve to, he's saying that's not the history of mankind, but rather the opposite is true. How was man created? Man was created in the image of God and began in fellowship with God. And the perversion of the truth of God began when man began not to honour him as God. It's very important that we, we recognise this. Because for you and I, the moment we do not honour God as God, the moment we do not honour God as the only majestic, all-powerful one who is infinitely greater than ourselves, that moment we begin this downward spiral that Paul is talking about here. This downward journey here now into idolatry. And we who were created to worship God can very easily find ourselves worshipping lesser gods. Did you, notice, did you notice as you read that, the progressive, degenerative path of idolatry? Did you notice it? Verse 23, he first says, they worshipped an image of man. So they, they rejected the reality of God. And they began to, and you look at the religions of the world, began to worship man-like gods. Then, notice, did you notice the, the sequence? Then birds, then animals, and then what? Creeping things. It's this descending order as man exchanges the worship of the incorruptible God for corruptible created things. Now look, look, look I know that you are all very unlikely to go out there and start worshipping centipedes. I know that. But there are people that worship lesser things. You know that? But understand, this is, this is, where, this is where this brings us. We've got to understand the very real danger of allowing ourselves to lose sight of the overwhelming awesomeness of who our God is, you know. 
Don't fall, please, please. And this is what's happened in, in, in the West. You know, Don't fall into the trap of approaching God on these casual terms. You, know. you hear it said, don't you? The, the man upstairs. Oh, I don't say that. It's just, just the old man, the man upstairs, my best friend. All these sorts of things. He's not simply your best friend. No, he's not. He is God. He is the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we dare not divest God of his divinity with such sentimental reproaches. We're terrible at it. We do it all the time. You know, I thought about that last night and I thought, well, how did, how did John, how did Isaiah, how did, the, how did the Bible examples approach God? Well, I went and I looked at John's encounter of the glorified Lord on Patmos Island. You know that account there? You know? God speaks. He didn't, John didn't even see God, but the voice of God spoke to him from behind. And what did John do? He says, I fell at his feet as a dead man. As a dead man. No, there was nothing casual, is there, about God's, about, about John's response to God. And then you go to Isaiah, you know, and you read verses like, he talks about you know, when God revealed himself to Isaiah. You know, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he went on to talk about the angelic hosts that were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Again, there is nothing, absolutely nothing casual or irreverent about Isaiah's response. You remember what Isaiah's response was to the presence of God? He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And again, you know, we can do this all day. You go to King David, you know. And David described God and when he said in Psalm 93, he said, The Lord, what does the Lord do? The Lord hangs out with me. The Lord is my mate. The Lord is my buddy. He's the old man upstairs that's watching over me, <laughs> taking care of me. He's the one who'll make it okay. No, he says, the Lord God reigns. He says, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. He goes on to say, his throne is established of old. You are from everlasting. David cries out. And we find in another place in Psalm 47 where he said, God sits upon the throne of his holiness as he reigns over all men. He's not just my buddy. The Lord tells us this. And we know these verses well. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Never lose sight of God's holiness, people. Never lose sight of God's magnificence. But rather, and let me just finish abruptly and suddenly just like this, because never should I ever, never should I ever come to God in any way but in absolute humility. We must always show great reverence. Steve sang it. You sang it. Steve prayed it. You prayed with him this morning that the Lord's name is worthy to be praised. There is no name like the name of Jesus is the holy God, the sovereign king. And he's coming soon. Amen. He's coming soon. Never lose sight of his magnificence. Amen. And understand, oh, please understand that you are a part of his glorious design. Every single one of you with wonderful purpose. Wonderful purpose in the family of God. Remember, Paul here is given warning. He's saying that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth that people... This is, this is what it all comes down to. The truth that people suppress and reject is the tr one truth that God should be honoured and worshipped and he should be esteemed as God. 
Martin Luther, long, long time ago, he said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. And the journey to unbelief starts with the suppression, yes, the rejection, indeed, the reduction of who God is. So brothers and sisters, family and friends, you are my friends. Would you lift him up? Would you lift him up in humble adherence to his absolute majesty? And honour him as God? Because next week, next week we will see the consequences of the rejection of honouring God as God. And in the end, it becomes man lowering himself to a condition below what God's created purpose was. And your created purpose is to be exalted in the heavens with him. That's it. Deserve no, but accept no less. This is God's intention for you. As you are being changed from glory to glory into that same image which is Jesus Christ. That's God's design for you. Worship him, honour him. Isn't he a great God? Yes. Um, as, uh, again, we said last week that uh, the greatest display of God's wrath, of course, was upon his son. Um, when he came to this earth and he walked upon this planet and he taught us about what the love of God is, what the purpose of God is, what the intention of God is. And the intention of God was to save us. And the only way that that could take place is if he would become a holy, righteous substitute for you and I. In fact, that he would bear the consequences of my, of your sin. He would take it all upon himself. Why? So that the very wrath of God that we've been speaking about, the ultimate wrath of God, and that's what the cross is all about, would be fired down from heaven upon his own son for you and I. For he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's all about the cross, isn't it? The way was made for us. So as a family, we celebrate this morning. We celebrate by taking these emblems. We take the bread and we take the cup. And they remind us of the depth of God's love for us. The fact that while he acknowledges that mankind is separated from him by his sin, he is acknowledging that through this observance that he has made it possible for us, possible for us to come back into a right relationship with him. Remember what Paul said earlier? He said that the righteousness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said the righteousness of God is being revealed or unveiled to mankind. The righteousness of God. This is the glorious truth. You are being made righteous because of what he has done. So next week we will get back to this. Are you okay with that? Did you survive that this morning? Did you survive that this morning? It's very quiet out there. It's very quiet out there. Of course you did.